Welcome to the School of Art and Design podcast. This series features conversations with undergraduate students around their final year research, driven by their experience within the interdisciplinary academic and research methods module, commonly referred to as the constellation module within the school. Hello, I'm Ingrid Murphy, and I'm a principal lecturer and artist designer maker. And this year I've been Carla's year tutor. Hello, I'm Dr. Martin Woodward and I'm a principal lecturer in CSAD. Hello, I'm Carla Prinsloo and I'm a Arts Designer Maker student at Carla School of Art and Design. And this is my conversation exploring the research topic that informed my final year dissertation project. So Carla, would you like to introduce your subject area for your dissertation? Um, my dissertation was sort of exploring the differences between the fine art classical nudes and, you know, erotic art and pornography and looking at the female representation through those pieces and finding the differences or similarities between those. Okay. And can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to that area of research? Um, I think I was, I was raised by a very strong woman. So, um, my, you know, I've got a strong mom, grand and aunties and they definitely always had it in the forefront of my mind how I was being presented and how I was presenting myself to the world. So then when I started looking at pop art exhibitions, because I saw Klaus Oldenburg's work in New York on a school trip and it was like amazing. I love pop art. But then I started to look at, you know, the big names and how they were presenting women. And it was worrying. I think that's the word I'd say. But then I really started getting my teeth into like how they were setting on why the different contexts and, you know, through Constellation, I was exploring the context of artists. And then I really got into, you know, why they were presenting them and how I was perceiving them as a viewer as well, which I think was a really important part of the dissertation. And at that outset, did you feel that this was a topic area that would have been something that you would have discussed with your peers? Did you feel it had currency, um, you know, a very topical debate at the moment? Yes, definitely. I think particularly in like our year group that we've got, like it's a very, we debate a lot about issues that are current and like, what's the word? Topical? Topical. <laughs> topical issues. We talk, we do talk about topical issues. And I think, you know, we did have some heated debates because I'm very strongly opinionated about things. And obviously there's people on the course that are also very strongly opinionated. But I think with everything that's going on in the world, it'd be difficult to not talk about female representation. There's an interesting juxtaposition between the topic. Uh, the fact that you, you, you're studying visual culture, whether it's high or low art, as you kind of talk about in the dissertation, but you're a maker. Yeah. Where, where, does the, where does that blur into, into your practice? Does it? Or is it, is it more of a way of navigating through the world and, uh, as a practitioner rather than explicitly in your work? Um, I don't think... I think, if anything, the research I've done has blurred the line more because I've gone... And I've, you know, because you, I've done the research into so many different aspects of ways to look at the artwork is now when I'm making or when I'm being a practitioner or when I'm even looking at artwork, everything is sort of all becoming mixed. So you're more, you're more aware now of the things that you make and how they may be perceived than yeah. you were before. It, that's definitely, as a practitioner now, that's the main I would say that's one of the main influences in how I work is I definitely want people to interact with my pieces. I design them so that they can be interacted with. That's how I work. But I think I would definitely, I don't know, because I design pieces that are designed to be interacted with, writing a dissertation on how people interact with pieces, it was really interesting for me to then be like, okay, well, I've got all this research now and I've got this understanding of 
people who haven't taken into account how the viewer is going to look at it. And I want to make sure that my work is showing how people can interact with pieces and it's designed for that purpose. And that sort of having that theoretical underpinning of that work that you you, uh, undertook through the dissertation, has it changed in your everyday, your everyday life, not just your practice, but has it been subsumed into how you, how you live as a woman today? Yes. I think I've become even more aware than I already was of some of the injustices. And it's these like microaggressions that I think I wasn't necessarily aware of, or you know that it's there, but you don't think much of it because it's how it's always been. But then when you look like historically, you can be like, oh no, this is like a new thing that's really bad. Or even it's like a historical thing that's been happening for hundreds of years. And it's like, just because it's happened for a while doesn't mean that it's good or that it's right. It just means that it's happened for a while, which I think is a big problem. And in that sense, the 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 scope of what you were looking at and the work when it was generated, I mean, some of the work, the Alan Jones work and that produced <laughs> in the 60s, you know, which which you which you really well referenced within the context of the sexual revolution. Yeah. I mean, has that given you in a sense, and you you started talking about coming from a family of strong women, your mother, your grandmother, has it given you a different understanding of the generational aspect yes. of feminism? I think I understand, like, because when I have, I obviously have conversations with, you know, my mother and the females in my life, like I do have conversations with them, but it's always, it's interesting to see where they sit and their viewpoints on it. And me looking at it from like a contemporary eye and, you know, living in a society that I live in now, it's interesting to see how different they can be because there's some things that my mother will be like, oh, that's completely fine to happen. And I'll be like, that's really not okay to happen in any world. So I think it's definitely made me aware, painfully aware of everything. Because that's a tricky thing thing to tackle in the dissertation, isn't it? Is that span of time that you're dealing with in a sense. And, you know, the proliferation of pornography that has happened in that period of time and the desensitization of images. So it must lead to some very interesting conversations, I suppose, when you're talking to people about that. Because it's a very, it's still quite a taboo subject in many contexts. I think it's really interesting because now pornography is so readily available. Like you can go anywhere and you can probably find a bit of porn. I think that's insane. But because that is now so readily available, when you look at these pieces... Like, if you'd seen that on Pornhub, you'd be like, oh, that's nothing. Like, you wouldn't have thought anything weird of it. But there was like a quote in here. Hang on. Really interesting quote. It's my favorite one. Um, Woodward says, one generation's risque becomes baseline for the next. And I think that's really interesting because if you consider what my mother thinks as like, that's too far, and then I'd be like, well, no, that's normal. Like for a while, having your like midriff, like your belly out, that was too far for my gran. That, no, can't do that. Now everyone wears it. So it's... Not your gran, I'm guessing. Not my gran, no. <laughs> she's not, she's very much not getting a belly out. <laughs> but yeah, sorry. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about the, um, well, you used to talk a little bit about the the sources you've drawn from. Um, so, I mean, Mulvey is a pretty is, is, a, is a pretty um, well known feminist scholar, uh, mainly from photography and, and film. Um, and the male gaze is a very powerful 
very powerful kind of concept yeah. to, to work with. How did you find applying it to to now, given that the the concept itself is is not old, but it's it's getting on now. I think although it is, you know, an older concept, I think it's still very much applicable. And what that's what's worrying is normally these things, they like they'll be like, oh, they're of their time, like that doesn't happen anymore. Like, no. Male gaze is still very prevalent in like modern society, although we are now having the female gaze is coming in, particularly in films. But I think that's a whole other thing. Really interesting. Anyway. Um, but I think to say that because it's historic, it isn't as applicable, I think. No, because it's even more applicable because it was like she actually wrote about Alan Jones's work. So she was very much of the time. But it's interesting because when you look at it with like a contemporary eye, with like a modern eye, you can still see it. And even in stuff that's happening now, you can still see it. I don't know if any of that's good, but I think that's like really interesting. For me, actually, when I first read Moby, God, 2002. When I first read Moby, um, it, it completely changed how I approached looking at something. Not not trying to understand what it means necessarily, yeah. but looking at it and asking the, the question of who made it. Yeah. And what uh, and what's their what's what's their what's their understanding of, of reality or whatever it is whether that's a, a, attached to the way women are represented or, or um, ethnic minorities whatever it is yeah. it it just it, it kind of realigns your your ability to see invisible influences yeah. in things I think I had that when I first read John Berger's work because I read his work like a while I was in A levels and I started reading John Berger but I had that sort of like revelation particularly in like the different layers of context because obviously I talk in the dissertation about like the artist's intent and the artist's context and then the viewer's context and those were things I hadn't even considered before it wasn't even things where I was like oh maybe someone who's looking at my work might have a different like history or a different background to me. So they're going to completely interact with it differently. And I think that was really, it was really eye-opening to see like with that new information to then relook at the work and be like, hang on. Cause I raised the point in my dissertation, if these works had been made by women, how would we see them differently? Because if they had, it would be seen as a statement on female empowerment and, you know, owning sexuality. But then you could argue that anyway, because I referenced dominant and submissive relationships in the dissertation. And to be in a dominant submissive relationship, that's not just in a sexual capacity. You can have dominant submissive relationships in like everyday life. But to be in one of those relationships, you do have to, there is the main theme, you have to have consent. So even the submissive partners are consenting to being submissive. So you could argue that the subjects of the pieces are being, you know, are consenting to being submissive. So is that you could, again, you could argue the fact then that are those women actually claiming that sexuality and claiming their body? And is that empowering? Or could you see it for what I saw it for? However, you want to take that. I saw it very much as, particularly with Alan Jones pieces, these these women that are being contorted and present, being physically presented as lower because they're being presented on the floor in these positions, you know, dressed in BDSM wear. Like, it'd be difficult to not draw those analysis that draw that analysis from it. What I found so fascinating about the male gaze is that you don't have to, you don't have to be male to have it. Mm. Um, there are plenty of female artists and photographers and filmmakers who, who unknowingly present the work through through the male gaze because they're a part of the culture that that, mm. that, that proliferates it. Yeah. Um, how did you find unpicking, or do you find unpicking that quite challenging? Because it's, I mean, one thing is to say, if you include more women in, in, in the creative arts, the, the gaze will change, but does it? 
I think it's like a system. What's the word? Systemic. Systemic. You know, we are like institutionalized and we know that this is, I think even subconsciously, we're including it and we're, because that's what we know. That's all we know. It's how we've been shown to present things. So I think it, I really enjoyed like dissecting these pieces and picking them apart because that's what I love to do. That's one of my favorite things is to really analyze art pieces. I think that's why I wrote my dissertation about this is because it had such a wide way. You could go so many different directions of dissecting this. And in doing that, did you encounter your own sort of systemic assumptions? Yes. Like I <laughs> unveiled a lot about myself where I was like, oh, this is not okay. But it was good because it really made me reflect on those thoughts. It made me reflect like, okay, am I, you know, are the things I'm doing, why am I doing them? Why am I presenting things in this way? And why are my beliefs like that? Because obviously the first time I see these women in these positions, I'm like, ah, that's not okay. But then why is it not okay? Like who told me that it's not okay? If that's how a woman was dressed, let her do it. If she wants to go out and BDSM wear and have a cup of coffee, do it. <laughs> Who's going to stop you, you know? And I think, I suppose, I had an interesting follow-up question on that really, I suppose about, you talked about when you were reading Berger at A-level and how it kind of opened. Where were the threshold moments in doing the research here that you suddenly had kind of a realization. Maybe it might have been to do with sort of that greater self-awareness of your own conditioning, or it might have been a theoretical construct that you suddenly went, oh my Lord, that makes these muddled thoughts into something clear for me. I think, I don't think there was like one point where I was like, ah, it all makes sense. But it was sort of like this gradual buildup of all these different, because I knew about voyeurism and stuff and I was like, okay, that's a thing. But then when you look into like scopophilia and then you bring in the male gaze into that and then you bring in, you know, Burge's work. And then when you even just consider like pop art as a movement and then you consider where that is within like high and low culture, you know, John Story's work. I think it was this culmination of all these different sources and all these different points of reference that, I was sat at the end and I thought I had like nothing. I thought I had like this massive ramblings of nonsense. And then I sat and I read my dissertation one time and I was like, oh, it makes sense. Like there is a train of thought here. So yeah, I don't think there was one point where I was like, aha. Well, that was the point really is when I'd read the dissertation finally as this weird stream of consciousness. So so with the, with that, you know, um, subject area. And obviously there was a huge amount of exemplars you could have used in this field. Yeah. Why did you select the ones you did? Why Coons? Why Jones? Okay. <laughs> I have to choose my words carefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I chose the artists that had, you know, I personally had the most intense reaction to. I think you know, because I was writing it and I knew I had a lot of words that I needed to fill. So I was like, if I choose people that I am passionate about in the sense that I want to talk about it and I want to, you know, really understand why they've made these pieces. I think that's why I chose them specifically. As in you were passionate about them in what way? I think... I'm, I'm going to goad you into a reaction now. Okay. I just think that it's really interesting <laughs> that... So, so you take Jeff Koons' work. Yeah. Okay. 
So Jeff Koons says that he decided one day he wanted to be a film star, so that's why he did the Maiden Heaven collection, which is really interesting as like an inspiration point. But then he goes and he takes, um, I can't say her name. What's her name? His ex-wife. Yeah, he takes his ex-wife, right? <laughs> so he goes then, and then he goes takes his ex-wife and he in, he specifically says he inserts himself into her life. She is at the time a porn star. He uses her sets. He uses her photographer. He uses all of this and he inserts himself. And then once the show's up, you know, he accompanies it with these big statues of them in very compromising positions. And then at the end, he sets the show up and he's like, yeah, no, it's not about sex. This isn't porn. This is, you know, this is art. And, you know, why is that art? Is that art because you've put it in a context where it is art or is it art because you say it's art? But if I went, if I were to go and I was to see those pieces somewhere else, you know, not in a massive gallery surrounded by all of these fine art pieces, you know, it'd be really easy to see. Some of the pictures are very graphic. It'd be really easy to be like, okay, so that's pornography. So I think I chose these artists because I got a little bit infuriated with how they were presenting the women because they were definitely throughout like all of the pieces is they're either presenting them as a commodity, they're presenting them as like this lifeless being that is just having things thrust upon them or they're being represented as literal pieces of furniture. So I think I chose them because I was so angry. I'm not sure if that's the word. I was more... Incensed by it? Yeah. I wanted to fully be like, why? I want to know why they've done this. Because there has to be a reason. And how did you feel about it at the end? I'm still work? very angry <laughs> about still it. Very angry. I think I got more <laughs> angry the more I researched into it is because a lot of them said like, oh, it's satirical work. And of course, when you're looking at pop art, you have to account for the fact that majority of it is intention to be satire. But I think for satire to be good is it needs to be true, but you know, funny, but not too real. Do you know, oh, is that wrong? Because I think for satire for me, I think you need to be able to be like, there needs to be some distance. It's a bit too real, a bit too close to home. So for me, I found that a bit too much. How much of that, therefore, do you feel, you know, your subjective approach and your kind of objective theories coming together? How, what, what that was, you, what, how did you strike the balance? <laughs> that was really difficult. That was really difficult to kind of remain objective when writing this. Yeah, objective. I, I really struggled with having that sort of distance from it. I think I had to keep taking breaks and I don't think I've done it as well as I should have done because I very much throughout my dissertation, like I did look more into the people who were supporting my arguments than other people's, you know, the contrasting view, but I don't think I could remain as subjective, well, as objective as I should have done because it's, I'm so passionate about it. I don't think I would have been able to do it no matter how many times I tried. <laughs> I don't think being objective with this kind of stuff is necessarily the right thing, though. No. Yeah. Because it, uh, it relies upon you, relies upon your reading of something, and your reading of something is informed by the the method of reading that you've taken for somewhere else that yeah. someone else might not apply. So, you know, I don't think it's not interesting to go back go back to your point about them about the the examples you've chosen being too sledgehammer in the, in the way that they present it is too real yeah. you say it, and that, that need to be more satirical and I think it, in in reading through what you what, uh, what you were writing about them um, I got the sense that there, there's would there be a way of presenting the same subject matter 
with more subtlety that you think would be appropriate? Or do you think that this the whole presentation of it is a problem? I think my main issue with it is, is that it's, you know, men from privileged backgrounds presenting this. If it was, I think they've sort of taken over the women's narrative. They've taken over the female narrative and they're presenting it. And I don't think that that's right. I think if this is something to be presented, which it should be, it's a conversation that needs to be had. Um, I think it should definitely come from like a female perspective because again, it's the, it's this sort of masculine, this man telling us how we're feeling. And that's not great, not fun. And then in the research of that, did you find any kind of counterpoints to that approach, which you felt subjectively or objectively were appropriate? As in, were there people that I thought had were handling this topic sensitively <laughs> i didn't you didn't okay i'm just interested yeah, i didn't if there, if there was some i'm sure there was there a beacon out, out there, there. For <laughs> i'm sure there are out there but i think the main issue i had is when i was looking for like female pop artists they are there but if you look at the percentage of the female pop artists that are well known you get it's like minute in comparison to how many of the male pop artists are known so i think although there probably were female pop artists and they were definitely people who were trying to put out the same message in a way that would have been I think particularly in contemporary society received better is I think because we don't know about them or you know they're really difficult to find I think that's the main issue and that's why you know I couldn't really find someone where I was like ah that's what it should be. Is that because historically the, the period in which pop art was incubated as a thing as a movement is that because it, that that period of fine art practice or that kind of um, tension between the high, high and low art kind of practice that was emerging. Was that mainly a male dominated space? Yes. Well, I think so anyway. I mean, I don't, haven't done loads of research into that particular part, but I do think that up until very recently, it has been very male dominated and it's been really difficult to sort of find. And that's borne out by your statistical analysis in the introduction, really, which I think is quite, yeah. you know, which is quite grounding at the outset of the dissertation where you that just was, kind of go, right, there's some there's some really interesting hard facts there that lay, lay this, you know, lay this argument down. It was really sad. Like I, like I went, because I went through that and I, because I was obviously looking for statistics to sort of back up, you know, what I was saying. So I was looking for statistics and I found like, this page that was just full like full of statistics of how difficult it is to be a woman in just the arts, full stop. And I went and um, me and my flatmate, like we sat down and we were just reading through them and we were like, what chance do we have? Like what realistically, what chance do we have? Because like, obviously things are much better now, but if that's what happened before, like what we don't have anything to sort of start from, do we? We don't have like people to build upon. So yeah, that was really sad. Clearly, this whole the dissertation, the research, and, and the, whole, the whole the whole question and topic is very is very pertinent to you, and it's doing it's done a lot for you as, as a project. Who do you think it's for beyond you? What can others do with it? I think, and this is very egotistical of me. I think it's for everyone. I feel like it's you know this was sort of to start a conversation. Like this has started many conversations in like my personal life with other people. It's because they say, oh, what are you writing dissertation on? Obviously like, I'm like, well, this is what it's on. And then it starts like a really interesting conversation. You 
And I think that's, I didn't write this for like a specific person per se, but I want it to be something that people can, you know, start talking about because if we don't talk about it, it's going to stay the same. I think we have to actually start having, you know, educated, informed conversations about these, these issues that are being raised. But I think if we don't talk about it, it's just going to stay the same. It's not going to change. It's not going to evolve. And the only way to really change it is to talk and is to actually be like, okay, this is wrong. We need to change it. How can we find practical physical solutions for this problem? Do you have any thoughts on the practical solutions to the problem? Well, (laughs) (laughs) I think, firstly, I don't think the answer is to eradicate all of the work that the men have done or all of, I don't feel like we should get rid of these pieces at all. You know, the pieces discussed in the dissertation, they're interesting in the conversation pieces, but I think they should be presented in a different way. I think, you know, when you go and see these pieces, you should be made aware, like this is coming from a privileged man's perspective. And I think because I was really young when I first saw some pop art pieces and I didn't really, you know, although I was in my mind, it, I was slightly aware that something was weird, but I didn't think fully like, okay, what's wrong? Why am I upset uh, of women being presented like this? So I think it's education of uh, about the pieces that are being presented. And then I think we do need to make more of a space for like the female narrative, because I think that's one of the most important points. The most important parts is like female and minority narratives have not been shared. And there are female pop artists, there are minority pop artists, but you just don't see them because they're not a big name. But I think we do need to sort of, sort of get that out get there. Get more space. Yeah. In in the in the dissertation, you talk an awful lot about intent as a kind of qualifier. Mm. And I'm interested in where you, where the boundaries might lie on that for you. I know it's a big question, yeah. but I'm sort of, you know, the, the, the contextualization of the intent of the artist, you know, when you talk about educating people and their views of that, do you think that's important that we're aware of their intention? Does that become a qualifier in some way? And where do the boundaries possibly sit for that? I think it does need to be talked about because the same way you find out where the artist is from and the same way where you find out like oh the artist made this painting in like this year as important as that is for understanding the piece it's also important to understand what was the artist's you know intention behind it because if you don't have that you're going to go solely off of your context and your understanding of the painting so I think you need to have it would it's important for me to know okay what was the artist trying to convey because if it is if you take so you take Jeff Koontz's piece and you say oh it is satire then okay you need to know that from the get-go but research shows otherwise (laughs) but I think that's one of the most important pieces and to sort of dissect what the intent was when you when they don't tell you is every interview I'd watch with the artist there's suddenly a different intent and I feel like they're always trying to find a different reason on why they're making it so I think it's difficult to sort of dissect it, but that is one of the most important pieces. When I was, you know, trying to categorize these pieces somewhat, I think I was definitely the most difficult part, but also the most important part was the intent. Because I think if you look at the, you know, the classification of what pornography is or what erotic art is or what fine art is, is majority of the time it is down to the intent of the artist. I'm going to ask a, a slightly different question now, a different nature. I mean, you didn't arrive 
fresh formed into dissertation mode yeah. and with a question formed in your head. Yeah. Can you describe a little bit of your journey through the constellation modules through level four, level five that might have brought you to this? Because, you know, it's not a topic area completely allied with your practice yeah. subject area. So I'm intrigued about what may have been the kernels that you know, for other yeah. students to understand what might be the kernels that dropped along the way through level four and level five that led you to do this at level six? Mm. Um, I think I started off doing, I started off Constellation. I was always doing the choices because obviously you can choose. I was doing the choices that you could really analyze the art pieces because that's what I'd love doing throughout A-levels. So I always chose the ones that you could really dissect the art pieces and you learn more about the context and the different ways of looking at art pieces. So I always started with that. And I think it then sort of built and built. And then I did consumer culture theory with Gareth and that it doesn't look like it applies to this, but it changed my view because there was so much that I learned through that that really opened my eyes. It was sort of like a weird awakening where I was like, oh no, like the world is evil. They're me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I definitely, I think that was... That was one of the constellation sessions that I'd done where I was like, right, okay. And then it was a sort of buildup of all this, you know, information and different ways of interacting with art and then the different ways of perceiving art that then led me to do my dissertation on this, which is very different to what I actually work in. But I think there are things that apply from this dissertation to what I do. Like I say, like I do make interactive art pieces and I do make pieces that, you know, encourage the audience to engage with it. And I think I definitely analyze here how people engage with art and how you can engage with art. Could you talk us through one of those examples of your of your practice that, that, that does what you've just said? Okay, so the last range of lamps that I've designed, actually, um, they've been, so it's this range of lamps and then they each have like a different health benefit and then they're designed so that you can hold them in different ways, but the sides of them have texture and I've researched into what textures are soothing and different, what lights can help the body and the mind and then working with like circadian rhythms and then working with like sun lamps and then infrared lamps, but then they sort of all come together into these shapes that were inspired by the Memphis movement, but it's so that you can interact with them and you can position them in different ways in your home. But you take a moment of mindfulness whilst you interact with these lamps and then you can feel the texture and you can really fully appreciate the health benefits that you're getting from them. So you have you have managed to translate a visual theory and a, an analysis of visual materials into a, a haptic sensory and material-based practice. You have managed yes. to do it. Yes, I have. She has. I don't think. I don't think you it, can see it such in, fancy words. No, it's not. You can see it on fourteen <laughs> B block. <laughs> as uh, as we as you move forward, as you graduate and things like that, very soon. Uh, where do you think you might take this topic area for you? Is it is it going to you know ever appear as further research down the line? Is it just going to be subsumed into your life? What where where might it go? I think. Are you going to become an advocate of some kind? I think I'm an advocate anyway. I'm very, very loud. So I think it's definitely stuff I talk about anyway. I'm not sure whether or not I'd take it down to further research, but I think it's definitely particularly, I think I'm going to address it through the art that I create later on because it's something that I'm passionate about. And I think you have to make art about things that you're passionate about. Otherwise, why are you making art? So 
it'll definitely be something I address in some form or another, some form or another. But I'm not sure if it's going to be research because I'm not very good at writing long essays. <laughs> <laughs> and as it, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Has it had any impact on your own behavioral practices and things like social media? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Painfully so again. I'm now overtly aware of I've had to have I was going through social media one day whilst I was writing the dissertation and I was like, oh, like it's all it's now changed from going to an art gallery and seeing it now that it's on your phone and you're seeing it. So I had to go and like delete all of the pages that I was like, that's clearly edited, that's not great. And you know. It was, it was sad because there was like so many people that I was following and it's even like friends that I was like, I can't have that in my life right now. Like I can't be constantly faced with this sort of subtle, how do I say it? It's like you're subtly just objectifying yourself and then you're like, why am I being objectified? Because you're objectifying yourself because you've been institutionalized to objectify yourself. Like, so stop. You don't need to. Can you describe the kind of practitioner that you are now compared to the kind of practitioner you were when you first came to university? Um, very different. I came to this university after doing one year of fashion textiles, a focus on embroidery, at LCF in London. And I thought I was going to do loads of textiles or I was really going to get into ceramics and that was going to be it. But then I think the amount of self-exploration I've had to do through like my art and why I'm making what I'm doing. And if I'm an artist or a designer or where I sit in the spectrum, I think I'm so much more self-aware now of like the kind of art or the kind of works I'm putting out there and then why I'm putting it out there. And, you know, I think I started being like, I'm going to find one material and that's going to be it. And that's going to be me. That doesn't work for me. I work in like everything under the sun. So I think I've definitely learned that I'm more, I don't think I'm as like rigid as I thought I should be. I think I had definitely had like this idea that I was going to be like, like either a fine artist that was going to make these really beautiful sculptures that was going to sit in the tape forever and ever and ever or I was going to be on the side of the road selling postcards for 50 pence you know living in a cardboard box I didn't think that there was like a middle ground and I think I'm much more open to being like exploring more I'm less like how do I say it I can't think of how I say it. I know I want to say I'm not like I'm not hard on myself anymore like obviously I have really high standards but I don't think I'm as harsh and as critical with myself as I used to be. But, and when I am critical, I'm critical in like a healthy way of being like, okay, why do I not like it? And what's wrong with putting it out like that? I don't think I've answered your question. I think you have, I think I like, can you please tell us a little bit about the job you're starting next week? Oh, I'm starting at Pangolin Editions. So they do the castings for, you know, big artists like Damien Hirst, Grayson Perry, and I'll be working as like a meta worker to finish off the thing. So they'll bring us the poured pieces and then I'll be doing, be taking all of the runners off and then I'll be sanding it, filing it, you know, getting the texture right. So that's what I'm going to be doing next week. So you are actually graduating right into the heart of the fine art fabrication yes. industry. <laughs> yes. It was very strange that I got my dream job straight out of the bar and I was like oh I didn't realize that was going to be something I could do but I got my dream job so straight I'm away. very interested in the conversations you'll be having in the tea room <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It'll be fun though. I'm really excited because they all seem really friendly and it's like amazing pieces of work that you get to work on. What will happen if an Alan Jones type piece of work crosses your path Ooh, in Pangolin? That's going to be a that's going to be a moral dilemma for me. It'll be really interesting because yeah. it will. Yeah, it'll happen at some point. I just have to really think about whether or not I want to. I probably will because I need money, but yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be really upset about it. I'm going to be really upset. I'll take the money and be it. really angry. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about the ideas discussed, please check the show notes, which would include some links and references. And to find out more about Cardiff School of Art and Design, please visit the website at cardiffmet.ac.uk forward slash CSAD.